Standing on the promises. There we go. That was the word I was looking for. Yes. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Stay standing and please turn your hymn books to 300. Thank you. Please and thank you. 300, have thine own way, Lord. Thank you. 
Excited to be in church this morning. Amen. I know it's a very hot day, but just the same, it is a beautiful day out there. I think, I don't know how much rain we're really going to get. They're saying rain pretty much all week, but I don't know if it's little sprinkles here and there. What's it really going to accumulate to? And while the dreary days sometimes can be bring us down, we desperately need it. <laughs> we need some rain, uh, and we need some cooler weather. I, can say I certainly do. Uh, so it'll be good. But... Uh, just a few announcements to touch on uh, this Saturday, uh, planning to do outreach, door-to-door, soul winning. We should have, tomorrow we are supposed to be getting the postcard. So the plan will be this week, I'll get all of the towns uh, organized and get the paperwork that we need from them. So then next Sunday afternoon, we'll have a sorting uh, party or whatever you want to call it. And we'll sort all of the postcards and get them into separate boxes so that then the beginning of that next week, I can get them all delivered to all the individual post offices. And they'll get distributed. Just like last year, we'll have extra postcards so you can give them to friends, family, uh, neighbors, whatever, whatever you want to do. And when we go out door knocking during those couple Saturdays before the meeting, we'll bring them with us and we'll hand them to folks. Does that mean some people will get two? Yes. Is that a problem? No. <laughs> it just helps put it in front of their faces multiple times prayerfully. It, it's not going to hurt anything. I mean, what's the worst they can say? Not interested, but uh, prayerfully it will serve as a good reminder. So that's this coming Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we also have choir practice today, 12.30 p.m. So after lunch, we'll plan on running through a song. Monday, that's gone by. So men's prayer breakfast, August 27th. 7.30 a.m. You know, I talked to Nick Blodgett this week, and he asked me, just confirming you guys are still having the tent meeting and you need the tent? Yes. It didn't even dawn on me. I was doing a floor. It didn't even dawn on me to ask him about doing it that Saturday. But I would presume, and I think we should plan, that's what we did last year. It was that Saturday men's prayer breakfast that we got the tent all set up at the end of, at the end of breakfast. So um, we'll have, uh, I'll, I'll get a hold of Nick. I'll try to touch base with him this week. Which reminds me, the last thing, August 28th to September 1st is our tent meeting. So it'll be Sunday, 
We'll be under the tent. Pray for cooler weather than what we've been having. Uh, I think it will be cooler by then, but prayerfully. Uh, but um, that'll be Sunday, normal schedules, pretty much. Um, Sunday school will be under the tent. Sunday morning will be under the tent. We'll have lunch probably inside, unless folks want to eat outside. And then we'll do an afternoon service again under the tent. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we'll have dinner here at the house, at uh, the house, at the church, in the, in the trailer, 6 p.m. And then the service will be at 7. So I encourage everyone who can to come, bring friends, bring family, uh, pray for people to come that need to be saved. And pray that their eyes would be opened and their hearts would be softened and they will both hear and receive uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're praying for. And I know Brother Mark and his family are praying that way. And uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to seeing what God is going to do. Pray that, you know, I have some, some folks I know that have family in their house that aren't saved. I'm praying that some of them would come out too and maybe God would use it. So I think that is all I really need. Oh, what? It is tomorrow? I saw it on there and I go, oh, that's already happened. I forgot. Tomorrow is ladies' meeting. I was thinking it was last Monday. I keep confused about what the date is. So tomorrow night, 6 or 6.30? 6. 6 p.m. right here is ladies' meeting. So if you can come, want to come, that will be a blessing. I, I'm, I apologize. I thought it was the ninth today. In the, or Yeah, I thought tomorrow was going to be the next week. And then since I mentioned that too, keep family camp out there. We do have on one of those back counters, I think some of these, if anyone's interested in that, uh, again, it will be a blessing. And then October, late October, we're going to have a missions conference, so I'll mention that too. Uh, Brother Ron Cottle is going to be up from Oklahoma, Chickasha, Oklahoma. Uh, it kind of was a, wasn't planned early on, but the Lord opened the door. He's going to be up here in Maine. Um, and uh, I was praying about what to do about a missions conference this year, and the Lord opened the door. He's done one done them for us in the past, does a great job, but uh, I don't know, he kind of expressed he might not come back for a couple of years, or you know, it might be a while, if at all, that he gets to make the trip back up here to Maine, it's harder and harder to travel, so I said, well, if you're going to be here, we want you to come, so we'll, we'll plan that, that'll be a blessing, I think that's everything, I won't announce that every week, I don't think, but we'll see, all right, Usher, come on down. Caleb, can you pray for the offering, bud? Yes, sir. God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Uh, bless the uh, service, Lord. Please help the pastor preach by the Lord. Please bless our hearts today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
one more, please and thank you. Please turn your hymn books to 292, 292. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Please stand with me one more time. We sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Sadly, 
sometimes allow us to take our eyes off of what really matters, but we need to strive, we need to, we need to keep our eyes on Him. You know, that is uh, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Um, Colossians, I understand it was in response to uh, the, I can't think of what they're called there, the folks that were blending, the Gnostics, there we go, blending Christianity and Judaism and mysticism and all this stuff together and trying to, uh, they were trying to distract from Christ. What did, what did, it, what is it all about? It's about re-emphasizing and refocusing on Christ. Uh, it's all about Him. Real quick before we get into the message, I just thought I would pull this out and just Scowhegan Savings Bank, the mortgage has been paid off. So, paid in full. We own the property. It is done. I've been carrying it around for, well, I had it here last Sunday too, and I forgot to tell everyone. So, <laughs> remembered this week. So, that is a blessing. But, paid off, paid in full, and now on to the next step. We're praying and asking for the Lord to lead and guide. I still haven't heard on the Jehovah Jireh. So, if I don't hear it this week, I'll reach out to. Uh, Brother Schwanke and see if he's heard anything, but uh, keep praying on that. All right, we are in Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter number three. We are uh, going to continue on our study through the book of Ephesians. La- next week, I was going to say last week, next week is one of my favorite passages. Well, I don't know if that's, it is a favorite of mine when the Apostle Paul shares his prayer that he prayed for the church at Ephesus and that they would be strengthened with all might by his spirit, not by Paul's spirit, in the inner man. And I just, I just love that, that passage. So we'll get there next week, but not this week. This week we're going to verses 8 to 12. Uh, let's go ahead and stand together. We'll read the passage. And then we'll pray and be seated. It says, beginning in Ephesians 3, verse number 8, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things, by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have for us this morning. I pray you would use this passage of scripture, use your word to speak to our hearts. I pray we would be helped and strengthened and stirred up uh, by what you have for us this morning. And Lord, just help us to do as we just sung, to keep our eyes on you. And when we're focused on you, boy, how the things of this world the things on this earth do grow strangely dim. Um, they're still there. 
They're still present. We still live on this earth at this time. But boy, they don't carry such weight with us when our eyes are fixed on you. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to do just that. Lord, I pray you bless our time. And I pray in all we say and do, you'd be honored, glorified, and pleased. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So, in our Ephesians passage this morning, I know we've seen for several weeks, last week we weren't in Ephesians, but we saw for several weeks the, the connection between uh, the Jew and the Gentile who are both saved uh, and how they are one in Christ. They're uh, one in the body of Christ, one in the church, one in the kingdom of God, however you want to uh, kind of put that together. We've seen God's will. We've seen some references to the mystery, which we'll talk a little more on today. But prayerfully, God will help us this morning. Paul begins in verse number 8 by just... Uh, now, I say Paul. God begins at the hand of Paul to pen these words, but he reaffir- reaffirms the call that he had placed on Paul's life. It says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We see this humility that the Apostle Paul had. And understand, the Apostle Paul, God used him to pen over half of the New Testament. God used him as one of the first missionaries, some would say the first missionary, going out and planting churches and establishing churches uh, all over the known world at the time, training pastors and other missionaries, uh, withstanding Peter to the face when Peter was wrong on something, Peter being the apostle God gave the keys to. I mean, just Paul was a tremendous man and did amazing things for Christ, and yet we see a humility about him unto me who am, the, who am less than the least of all saints. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle. That word meet essentially is saying he's, he doesn't consider himself qualified to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul knew who he was in the past, and he knew who he was even in the present. And because of that, he was humbled at the grace that God had given him. And really, that's where we all should stand. We all, I believe every pastor, every missionary should consider it a privilege, and they should understand that the only reason they get to do what they're doing is by the grace of God. Every Christian, every soul winner, every Sunday school teacher, every children's worker, every church cleaner, whatever, whatever you want to you call it, whatever position, whatever thing we do for the Lord, we should understand that it is by God's grace that we have the privilege to do it, that we get to serve Him in any capacity. He knew His calling and accepted the responsibility, but He certainly didn't believe He was worthy of it, and we shouldn't. We should understand we're not worthy. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches us that numerous times. All right, God's call also reveals to us His grace. I know I touched on it already. When we humbly accept God's call and realize we don't deserve to be used by the King of kings and Lord of lords, we begin to understand, we begin to really grasp the gravity of what He has done for us. Um, I remember years ago when, actually I think it actually happened before we were even at Churchill, my siblings were there, my parents were there, 
but we were still up in Orono, uh, Milford, Old Town area, and I remember they had these uh, a missions group come up from a church down south to help with the building project that was going on at Church Hill. And I remember one of the young guys, he was in Bible college, and they had him preach. And as he was preaching, he said, you know, he says, I've not been doing this for very long. And he said, but you know, one of the things that I have learned since I've been preaching and, and in Bible college, he said, I've learned that God doesn't need me. And he said, but I'm sure glad he wants me. And there's a lot of truth to that statement. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. God can have somebody else do whatever it is that he wants us to do. But he doesn't want to have someone else do it. He wants us to do it. And that's pretty amazing to think what a wonderful God we serve. All right, so Paul's going to use, no, Paul. God is using Paul for this specific ministry. I know we touched on it in the past, to go to the Gentiles. Romans 11.33 says, actually, let's, no, we won't yet. So what's he going to take to the Gentiles? Look in verse 8 again. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, I believe that without the New Testament, well, let me even go a little further. Without the writings of Paul, we wouldn't understand the things that we understand about us, about the time that we live in right now. We wouldn't know those things. Are they in the Old Testament? Are they shadowed in the Old Testament? Yes, they are. But without the clarifying New Testament text, we wouldn't understand what God has for us, what He's done for us, what His plan has been and is, and is for us. We wouldn't know those things. It had to be revealed to us in the New Testament, it had to be revealed to us, and God chose to use the Apostle Paul to pen these things that we can understand because of what he did, because of his writing. So, pretty special calling, and it was humbling. Paul understood, not only has he sent me to preach to the Gentiles, he's also called me to pen the unsearchable riches of Christ, the things that would not be understand, understood had God not given me this ministry. Wow, the grace of God in Paul's life. So why was he humbled? Why would he say unto me who am less than the least of all saints? Because he knew who he used to be, that he persecuted the church of God. But he also knew who he was at this time. And we've looked at it several times. We won't turn, but over in Romans 7, if you remember the Apostle Paul, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. He says, I am... Uh, I'm going to turn there. You don't have to turn there, but just because I, I can remember some of it, but I'm always mess it up. The very end, verse 23 through 25, he says, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. He wants to serve God. He wanted to live for God. Brother Elliot kind of touched on some of that this morning in Sunday school. The wandering mind, you know, the, the season of wandering he wanted to, but he sees another law, uh, law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He says, O wretched man that I am, 
Not that I was. He knew who he was, but he knew who he, who he am, I guess you'd say. He knew who he was at this moment, present tense. He wasn't just saying, it wasn't speaking of past tense, it was present tense. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. We have this battle going on. And the Apostle Paul understood, he knew, of course, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost as he penned God's words, he knew that it was a struggle, and he also knew that, boy, what a privilege and testimony of God's grace that he got to do the things that he got to do for the Lord. It's pretty tremendous. Verse number 9, and to make all men see. Notice all men isn't just Gentiles, it's also it would also apply to the Jew. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So he revealed to all men the message that Paul was preaching. Yeah, he predominantly worked through Gentiles at this time. But the message was available to all men. The gospel is available to the Jew and the Gentile, both. Now, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Remember what we've learned the last few weeks? There's now a unity, a fellowship between the Jew, the Gentile, and God if the Jew and the Gentile both are in Christ. They have to be saved. They have to, be, they have, to have trusted Christ as their Savior. And then there is a fellowship, a unity between them. When we get saved, we were quickened together with Christ. Notice this is something that has been hidden since the beginning of the world. He said in verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, where mystery tells us it was not seen before, it wasn't understood before, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. God had hid these things. God had hid these truths because he didn't want them to be known. He didn't want them to be understood. He had a purpose for it. Uh, you know, he has a plan for it, had a plan for it. Uh, and we're going to get to that in a second. God always knew. So sometimes people think, well, God just had a plan, which I do believe God had offered the kingdom to Israel, but they rejected it. You know what? God offered it through John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preparing the way of the Lord and preached. What did they do? They killed him. The Messiah himself came and preached the kingdom to him. What did they do? They killed him. In Acts chapter number 7, uh, Stephen, offering the kingdom. What did they do? They killed him. And uh, this may come up in a Sunday night. It may not. But you know what Christ was doing when they killed Stephen? Christ was standing at the right hand of the throne of the Father. I believe it's because he was at the ready to come and establish his kingdom, which if we look back in Acts chapter 3 when Peter was preaching, he talks about repent and be baptized. We talked about that several weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I think. And he said, and He'll send Christ and bring in the time of the refreshing. Well, in Acts chapter number 7, Christ is standing. It is the only time we ever see Christ standing at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Every other instance where Christ is pictured next to the Father, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And I believe he's seated now because that was the last time the kingdom was offered. Will it, be, will it come again? Yeah, it will. Tribulation period, though. After judgment comes, then it will be offered again. Uh, so, all right, moving on. Sorry, sidetrack. 
What's something that we see here in verse 9? I don't want to skip over. The very end of the verse says, Who created all things by Jesus Christ. I know we know this, that Christ is the person of the Godhead that created everything we see. I remember years ago, I was still an assistant at Churchill, and Dr. Martin came, and he taught John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. And I remember him saying, remember these, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. Let's say them together. And he did all that because he wanted us to remember three times. And there's other times. Here is one, for instance. There's another one over in Colossians 1, 14 to 17. That's the passage that speaks about him creating, and by him all things consist. It's that same passage. So we understand Christ created all things. I point that out. It was just a couple days ago, I went and I helped my brother at his church with uh, some stuff, trying to get their parsonage done, and on our way home, we stopped in Belfast, and we pull in on Main Street in Belfast, you know, they got all this parallel parking spots, and I'm behind this car, and the license plate says S4T4N. What do you think that says? Satan. Their license plate says I mean, it doesn't. It says S4T4N. But it, they're implying what they're trying to say is Satan. And uh, they have a bumper sticker. It looks like the uh, Let's Go Brandon bumper sticker, but it says Let's Go Darwin. And over on the other side is another bumper sticker that says uh, Science doesn't care what you believe. Well, science doesn't care what the truth is, too, what the provable truth is, either. Uh, and uh, I think it was Friday night when we were down at Churchill with Dr. Martin, he shared this testimony of a, uh, an evolutionist, a scientist. Well, one, Darwin wasn't a scientist. He was a theologian. He wasn't, he wasn't actually a scientist, so he didn't understand science. It was all theory that he came up with, but science has adopted it because, well, anyways, really religion has adopted it because that's what it is. It's a religion. It takes more faith to believe it than it does to believe what the Bible teaches, but he shared the testimony of this evolutionist, and I wish I could remember the guy's name, and I wish I had the quote, but this is just kind of on the fly. And he essentially said that it is scientifically impossible for evolution to be true. He said it is scientifically impossible for us to have evolved from apes or monkeys or whatever. I don't remember. I think it's apes that he said. Whatever it is. And he said, and there's no real evidence of it, but he said the only other explanation is that there is a creator and that we have come into existence by God. And he said, and I refuse to accept that that is true. So I choose to be an evolutionist. And that is about the extent of it. We were just talking about that before Sunday school. That is about the extent that they willfully choose to reject the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. Some are just flat out deceived. And they believe, like that bumper sticker said, or whoever's driving that car, they believe that, uh, they believe that science has evidence that proves that evolution is true. They just, they just trust that what they're being told is, is in fact true. But it's not. And the ones who are preaching this stuff and are doing the research, they know. But they hate God so much that they will willfully stand and declare some lies. All right, verse number 10, to the intent. God has an intention in what he's telling us. He has intent in what he's saying. He has a purpose and a plan for what he's just told us, which is 
that he's given Paul the ministry of preaching among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent, the purpose, that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So the things that were hidden, they've been known by the principalities and powers. Well, what is, what is some of this stuff that's been hidden? Well, look at with me, if you will, in Ephesians 1. We'll stay close to where we are for this one. In Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23. It says, Which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You think that from the Old Testament we could understand without the New Testament? Take the New Testament away. Pretend it doesn't exist. I know that's hard. We already know this. But without it, would we understand that Christ is the Son of God, that he would die, that he would rise again? that he'd be seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, that he, has, he is far above all principalities and powers. Against uh, He's far above all that live and exist in the spiritual world now and in the world that is to come, that Christ is above it all. We wouldn't know that without the New Testament. We understand that because of the New Testament. God's intent in making Christ the Creator or in Christ being the Creator could the Father have been the one that was declared the Creator? I would say He probably could. Would the Holy, could the Holy Ghost? I mean, each one has their part in creation. But the record states that Christ made everything. Why is that? So that we can understand now that Christ is both the Creator and the Redeemer. That He is Lord and one day will sit on the throne as King. So that we understand it is Christ, 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 Christ. That it's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about, it's not about us. It's not about what is going on in this world right now. It is about Christ. It is to lift Him up. It is to exalt Him. It is to magnify Him. And if we just read the Old Testament, we would miss that. But the Old Testament pictures what the New Testament fulfills. So we have... We'll talk about that in the afternoon message, but we have a lot of things pictured in the Old Testament. The sacrifices. What do you think they picture? The crucifixion, right? Uh, the feasts, the tabernacle. Uh, I don't remember but all the specifics, but years ago, Brother Seth, when he was in our church, he did this incredible Sunday school series on the tabernacle and showing all the pictures of Christ in the tabernacle and the design and the making of it. I mean, just, you know, the, uh, in the Old Testament... When God judged Israel and sent the, the fiery serpents into the camp, and they were bit by the fiery serpents, and those that were bit would die, what was the solution that he did? He took a pole, and he put a brazen serpent on top of it, and they held it up, and anyone who looked on the brazen serpent would be healed. They would be saved. You know what that's a picture of? Christ uses that picture when he's teaching in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and what's he say? He says, just as the brazen serpent was lifted up on the pole, I think he says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and all that look on him shall be saved. It was a picture. 
We see all these pictures in the Old Testament that point to what Christ fulfilled and what would happen in the New Testament. It's all about Christ. It's to point us to Him. Yeah, it was to point Israel, it was to point the Jew to Him, but it's also to point us to Him. That's why we have what we have. So this is some of what God wants us to know and understand. And remember in, in Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18, the desire, the, the prayer, understand it's written, Paul saying this is what he wants, but really what's being stated is what God wants for these people. What God wants for us. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. He wants us to know and understand who He is and what He has done for us. He didn't it was hidden, but it has been revealed. Why did He reveal it? So that we can know. So we can understand, because He wants us to know Him. What does it say uh, in uh, Philippians, I think it is, Philippians 3, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. The desire that Paul had for himself was that he would know Him better. The desire that God has for us is that we would know Him better. That's why He has recorded what He's recorded. So we can live and be faithful to Him, but also so we can know. So, He's revealed details about Himself. His intentions is that everything that is known by the principalities and powers, the angelic beings, you think that the angels and the devils, you think that they know that Christ is God? Yeah. You think they knew it back in the Old Testament? Yeah, they knew it at creation. But the Jews didn't. All of, the man, all of mankind that lived from creation until Christ, they didn't know that. But we do now. That's what it's saying. It's saying this has been known by all these principalities and powers since the beginning of time. But it hasn't been known by mankind, and it is being revealed. It's been hidden, but it is now being revealed. All right, where was I here? God wants us to know His plan. He wants us to know what He has done. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Beginning in verse number 6. We're going to read several verses here. It says, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. It, it means mature. It means uh, complete. Yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, <clears throat> which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know. So they did crucify the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. If we stopped right there, and I've heard many messages, many sermons that did, that say, we don't even know all that God has for us. We don't know. It, there are things I'm sure we don't know. But they would, I've heard message after message, it's been a long time, 
But there was a time where I heard this passage preached to just kind of a prosperity message kind of thing, you know? We don't know. Neither hath I... Uh, so, it's written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. So we, man has never and would never think in his mind all the things that God has for us. He wouldn't think in his heart. He hasn't seen with his eye. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. How did he do that? Right here. How did holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost? It's been written down. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. I'm going to leave the rabbit alone. We'll keep going. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God down to the end of the chapter, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's going to be on our Sunday afternoon at some point here, another couple weeks probably. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Think of that vehicle I saw in Belfast. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? It's right here. He's given it to us in his word. So what do we got to do? Well, last Sunday afternoon, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Two words there that are really hard for our day and age. Study and work. It's not easy. So what do we get from the passage we just read? God wants us to know the things that the spiritual beings of the world, the spiritual beings of heaven have known throughout history, have known since the beginning of time, maybe known before the beginning of time. He wants you and I to know them too. And he's given them to us in his word. He's revealed them to us. If they had been known before, then man would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But did Christ have to die? Yeah, he did. For salvation to be available for you and I, he had to die. So he died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And he saves all those who will believe and place their faith and trust in him. So, verse 11, moving on here. Verse, uh, okay, verse 11, hang on. Yes, that's where we are. It says, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what's the eternal purpose? If you were here last Sunday afternoon, or may, no, the Sunday afternoon before, we talked about the theme of the Bible, which is Christ coming in his kingdom glory to establish his throne upon the earth. So, as that, as, with that as the theme of the Bible, the eternal purpose of God was not that Christ would be crucified and die for the sins of mankind, although that's part of his purpose, 
But the purpose is that he would sit on his throne and rule and reign for all of eternity. That is the eternal purpose of God. And as the eternal purpose, it's for us to understand Christ is the creator, the redeemer, the Lord, and the king. I already, we already read several verses in Ephesians 1, but if we jump all the way back to verse number 3, we won't reread stuff we've already read. But in verse number 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him. You want to know a very unique and special blessing that we have living in this present dispensation, this present time? So if we consider... Uh, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. You and I, as saved Christians, we are in Christ, the Bible says. Moses was a great man. He was an incredible man. I might be borrowing some from... I don't think I am. You know, I study all these messages to prepare, and sometimes they overlap. And I'm up here preaching, and stuff from another message pops into my head. Well, Moses was a great man. God, so great that God cared for his body after he died. Noah was a great man. Him, his wife, his three sons, and their wives were the only people God kept alive during the global flood, and he used them to repopulate the earth, to replenish the earth. Uh, David was a great man. He's known as the man after God's own heart. The list could go on and on. We could mention the Old Testament saints. Elijah was a great man. Joshua and Caleb were great men. You know, we could keep going. But you know, all of those Old Testament saints were never one day in Christ. Are they in heaven? Yeah, I believe they are. But they have not, they do not have what we have being in Christ. And what's unique about that is you and I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Well, let, let's continue reading this passage real quick. We're in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter number 1. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. I'm not preaching Cal... Uh, no, what's the word? Yeah, Calvinism. What he's chosen is this time, and the people who live in this time who are saved are in Christ. That's never happened before. It was all Israel. It was all about... Uh, the law, but now us being in Christ, this period of time, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love. If you're saved, are you holy and without blame before Him in love? Yeah. Do we sin? Yes. Are those sins held against us? Are they, are they put to our account? No. What does the Father see when He looks at you and I? He sees the righteousness of Christ. So we are perfect in the eyes of God. Okay, keep going having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. We've talked about that in the past. We won't go there, but over in Romans chapter number 8, it defines adoption as uh, when we get our glorified body. Okay? So it hasn't actually taken place yet. Where were we? How does this keep turning on me? There we go. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption... Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Which if we notice two more verses, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after the, that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. All right, one more verse. Why were we sealed? Which is the earnest of our inheritance. What's our inheritance? Until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. What is the one day we're raptured off this earth? This old body is going to be gone. And we're going to get a new body, a glorified body. And you know, in that, so this, the, those who have lived from the ascension or from the death of Christ to present and on in until Christ raptures the church, those who are in Christ cannot sin in the sense that sin is held to their account, that we're going to have to pay for our sins right now. But our flesh can still sin, but our, we are not in our sins in that God is going to hold them against us. One day... We're going to get a glorified body, and then we will no longer be able to sin. Because this old flesh will be gone. And we'll have, the Bible says we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will have a glorified body as he has a glorified body. Can Christ sin? No, he cannot. So one day, we're going to be changed. This corruptible will put on incorruption. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to being incorruptible. And that's just not talking physically as far as breaking down, but it's also talking we cannot sin. That day is coming. And I, I think, well, I, I believe it's getting closer by the day, by the moment, really. So what a blessing it is to be in Christ. In Colossians 1, you don't have to turn there, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions all the way down to verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And is there going to be a day where Israel gets their kingdom? Yeah. And you know what? We'll be ruling and reigning with Christ in that kingdom. Uh, what's it going to take? Well, I believe it's going to take the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period those Israelites that are on the earth are going to realize that they rejected the Messiah, and they're going to repent at that point. It's going to take seven years. Uh, you know, I recently heard a message, and i got to study this out more for myself, but the preacher said that in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, Israel is going to receive the Antichrist as their Messiah. But somewhere in the middle time frame, the Antichrist is going to be seated on the throne, and he's going to erect a statue of himself, and he's going to require that everyone bow down and worship the statue. Does that sound familiar? Like maybe something that took place in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar made the statue of himself and he wanted them all to bow down and worship. And Israel knows, even though they've rejected the Messiah, they know, I'm talking true Israel here, they know that God is against graven images. 
they know that God would never erect a stone image of himself or a gold image of himself and require anyone to bow down. And that's when the light bulb's going to come on and they're going to go, oh no. And then it's going to be pretty miserable for them for the next three and a half years. They're going to cry that the rocks would fall on them and all that. And at the end of that time frame, those that are still here are going to get to the point where they repent and they believe and God will save them and establish his kingdom on the earth. They'll get the physical kingdom. We'll get the spiritual kingdom and the physical kingdom. All right, verse 12, wrapping up here. Where am I? Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 12. In whom... All right, verse 11 said, According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And I say this, we, have, we can boldly come to the throne of grace, right? We can confidently come to God in prayer. We have our mediator, which is Jesus Christ, not Mary. She's not our intercessor, it is Christ. We can pray directly to God. We don't need to go through a priest. What's that? One mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, I think it's in Timothy, but all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. So we, we can go directly to God. The Bible, we are all priests in the sense that we have access to God. That's what that essentially means. One of the Baptist distinctives, the P in the word Baptist, is the priesthood of all believers. What does that mean? That we all have access to God. We can all pray, we can all call upon him, we can all meet with him, we don't need to go through another man. But every single one of us has access to God. So we can come to him in boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We can know that when we go to him, God hears our prayers and he will answer our prayers. Does he always give us what we want? He always gives us what he chooses to give us. <laughs> he always gives us what's right, what is best for us. Uh, if we come to him in faith, the Bible says he'll answer. You know, I think of, well, moving, we'll wrap up. So how are we doing? We have so many blessings that we cannot, you know, we sing the song, Count Your Many Blessings. We can count a lot of our blessings, but I suspect we would never, ever be able to count them all. We just can't. There's too many. Every time I think, boy, I list all these blessings, and then I'm like, all right, and I finish, and I, oh, wait, what about this one? Oh, I've got to put that, all right. Oh, wait, there's another one, you know, and it's just, there's just so many blessings. Just the blessings that the Bible tells us that we have in Christ, I don't believe any of us know them all. And if we know a lot of them and we learn something new, it seems like, for me, I learn something new and I forget something that I already knew. So I go back, I can relearn it all over again, and it's fresh and new. Uh, there are so much that we have in Christ. God wants us to know them all. Brother Elliot taught a good Sunday school lesson this morning on, he started a four-part series on seasons, the seasons in the Christian life, and this morning was on wandering. And just wrapping up, it got me thinking that when we don't, focus on Christ, when we don't remember all that we have in Him and we don't know and we're not learning, what's that cause us to do? We become complacent. 
And a complacency is a place where we begin to wander. Our mind begins to wander and start thinking about other things. And then as Brother Elliot taught, when our mind begins to wander, it's not long before our feet will begin to follow. And we end up getting ourselves in trouble. So, how can we, how can we prevent that? Well, prayerfully, we do not get complacent. And the more we know about Him, the more we're learning about Him, and increasing in our knowledge and understanding of what He's done for us and what we have in Him, the less likely we're going to get complacent. I pray it never gets old. I pray we never get over what our Savior has done for us and what we have in Him. All right, I'll go ahead and close us in a word of prayer, and then we will fellowship before we head over for lunch. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what we have seen, and maybe, maybe we've learned something today, Lord. I don't know. But Father, I pray that You would apply Your Word to our hearts and help us to just understand all that we have in You. Lord, you have done everything for us. And how easy it is for us to begin to stop looking at you and start looking at ourselves. Start looking at our own circumstances. Start thinking, well, I've got it pretty good. This is, I've probably grown enough. I've probably done enough. I've probably learned enough. I'm really comfortable where I'm at. I don't want to learn more because it might change some things and then I'm not so comfortable anymore. Lord, I pray we never reach a point where we stop growing. And if we, last week's message out of 2 Peter, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. If we're not learning, then we're not going to grow. If we're not increasing in our knowledge of you, then we're not going to grow. Father, I pray that you'd help us Help us to grow, help us to love you more. And Lord, we know that that's done as we love your word more and learn more about you. Father, I just pray you'd work. Before I close the prayer this morning, with every head bowed and every eye.